Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You may be seated. God is good. <clears throat> All the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Love sometimes is difficult to define and understand. I mean, think of the way people use it. You know, I love cake, or I love coffee, or I love books, seasons, certain colors. Jesus tells us to love one another. The Bible tells us that we're to love God and our neighbors. Paul tells us what love is and isn't, and even prays that the church comprehends the love of God. So I had the question earlier this week and, you know, was talking to Jeannie about it because, you know, it was really, I, I thought a question worth pondering. Do, do, do I love God and, and what does that look like? How do I know? Because I think a lot of people are Christians because we think you're supposed to do it, right? You do this to get your eternal fire insurance, for the lack of a better term. And so we go through the motions because you're supposed to do it. It's the right thing to do. But do we do it for those reasons, or do we do it because we love God? That's the question I want you to think about, because I believe Paul addresses this in a roundabout way. Am I doing this because it's what I've always done, it's what I'm supposed to do, you know, I'm so scared of hell that I really don't want to go there, so I'll go along with this, or I love the Lord. And is that love reflected in how I live, how I treat others? Look with me, please, at verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Paul never really lived to God while he followed the law. Now, he was being a moral person. He was being a good person. But that was really more for himself than it was for God. Whenever someone makes their faith exclusively about a list of do's or don'ts, they do that for them probably more so than they actually do it for God. And so the pleasure is not found in living for God, but in keeping the checklist, in putting the check mark beside each thing that we have on there. Richard Foster tells the story about a guy named Hans who was a tailor. He says, because of his reputation, an influential entrepreneur visiting the city ordered a tailor-made suit. 
But when he came to pick up the suit, the customer found that one sleeve twisted this way and the other that way. One shoulder budged out while the other caved in. And so he pulled and he managed to make his body fit. And as he returned home on the bus, another passenger noticed this odd appearance. And he said, did you get that suit from Hans the tailor? He said, well, yeah, I did. And the guy said, amazing. I knew that Hans was so good, but I didn't know that he was good enough that he could perfectly fit a suit to someone as deformed as you. Often that's just what we do in the church. We get an idea of Christianity and we try to shove people into it, make something fit that maybe it doesn't naturally fit. So Paul followed the law. He said, I did everything I was supposed to do. But when I died to the law, I died to the law that I might live to God rather than living for myself, rather than living for the checklist of the things you're supposed to do and don't. And that's not at all to say that we shouldn't do certain things or that we should do certain things. But there's a difference when you do it out of love as opposed to, I got to keep the checklist. So, okay, I'm going to make a point and a lot of you are going to get in trouble. You ready? All right, hold on to your seat. Some of you men make a point to get your wife something on Valentine's Day, right? What do you do for the rest of the year? You see, we see that day as an obligation. Same thing with the anniversary, right? And you know what I don't get? Valentine's Day is such an unfair day. It's all about the woman. What about the man, Kenneth? I mean, when are we going to get spoiled, right? I mean, some say, well, y'all do every time of the year. We cook for you. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But you see, there's a difference. There's the obligation, and we do the obligation, but love doesn't act that way. Love will go, yes, on this day I'll make it special, but love will also say, that's not the only day that I can give her flowers or do something kind and special for her. Same thing with us. Sunday, that's the obligation. But what about the rest of the week? What about this afternoon? You'll be able to tell if it's love or an obligation by looking at it through those lenses. Now, this is what Paul was contending against. He obeyed God without knowing that he was accepted and he was working for a reward. It wasn't out of sheer love and devotion to God, but now that he is justified and accepted, he lives for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I say that about my Christianity? That I live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That you live out of sheer love for Jesus. Or are you one of the Christians that's weighed down by the moment-to-moment anxiety of a Christian perfectionism, the likes of which you will never achieve. You know, some Christians live like that. They, they think, well, I've, I've put a foot wrong, and so I need to repent immediately because I went from being in a position of saved and on my way to the heavens to now I'm on my way to hell and condemnation. Obviously, yes, if you sin, repent, pray for forgiveness as we all should do. But living with that constant anxiety has to be exhausting. It has to be exhausting. And that's not love. 
That's not love. First John says perfect love casts out fear. So where, where, where do I fall? I'm not saying accept your sins and don't worry about them, but I am saying each of us has to do our best, but we also have to realize that the grace of God is there for a reason. It's because we are flawed. If we were flawless, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But it's because we are flawed that Jesus endured the Christ, the cross. Excuse me. So how is this played out in, in this particular passage? We're going to look at three particular uh, sections here, first of which is the issue, verses 11 through 14. Read with me together, please. Now, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in a manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? So you have these, you know, this is probably one of the main issues in the early church. You have Jewish Christians, you have Gentile Christians, and the Jewish Christians believe that everybody should become Jewish before they should become a Christian, before they can become a Christian. But Peter knew better. He was eating with the Gentiles, which uh, uh, sharing a table with someone, uh, it was a level of societal acceptance and friendship, table fellowship. So Peter was eating with these folks, but then the others come around and he knows how they teach. And so he, he puts some distance between himself and between those other brothers and sisters. And you have to know that they're all of a sudden going, what do we do wrong? Why is he not eating with us anymore? Because he was going back to the law, the very thing. So th 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 this is the issue. Peter, when he ate with his non-Jewish brothers and sisters, he had a freedom but then he fell under the spell of those who insisted on the law and withdrew from freedom back into, into slavery, into bondage. Now, th this isn't as applicable to us today because we've, you know, we've never had to live with the law or under the law. It's there for our learning, of course. But, you know, and it's always funny when a Christian wants to use a passage from Leviticus or from Deuteronomy to support something today. But if if you use the law, you're bound to keep all of it. It's not a buffet where you can just pick and choose what you want to put on your plate. Again, we can learn from it, but we shouldn't pull from it and make doctrine out of it because that's not really what it is. So you have the issue, and the issue is this hypocrisy that is not in line with the good news. God doesn't want everybody to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. And as a matter of fact, to the Jewish ones, he's saying all these things that you observe... You do that obviously to the Lord, but you don't have to. You're keeping yourselves in bondage to the law because that's what they've only ever known. The Gentile Christians, however, they've never known this. So why should they be made to be put under the yoke of the law when they never lived by it? They have the same grace, the same justification through Jesus Christ by faith. Now verses 15 through 18, we have the ideal and, and uh, Paul makes this very clear. 
We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Well, certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Jesus was able to accomplish what the law couldn't. And so now maybe here's some modern day application. Some of us can be as Christians so hung up on what we're supposed to do and not do that we inadvertently create a law of our own. And I say this because, you know, when you read through the New Testament, read about Christian liberty. There's a study everybody should do, Christian liberty. Um, Because some want to bind others, just like what the Pharisees once did. Some will say, you can't go to these types of movies, or you can't find humor in this, you know, or you can't or shouldn't dress like that, or vice versa, whatever the case is. But there's no privilege in keeping the law of old, and so we shouldn't build a whole new law for people to try to keep other than what is in line with what Christ taught. Now that Christ has accomplished salvation for all, there's only bondage in this law. But justification, I'm much prefer the term acquittal. I think that's a better term in my understanding. To be acquitted means to be declared to be in the right. But here's the thing, we're all sinners and we are all wrong before God. We have all broken his commandments, his laws. We all deserve punishment, but Jesus took our place on the cross. And when we have trust in him, that is faith and obedience to him with our hearts and our actions, we are declared right. It isn't our own rightness that we receive, but it's that of Jesus. So the justification, the acquittal comes through Jesus, not through keeping the commandments of the law. And here's the implication, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Timothy Keller says this, If we could save ourselves, Christ's death would be pointless. When we realize we can't save ourselves, Christ's death is everything. So how do I love God? Scripture gives us a nice direction. If you love me, keep my commandments. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So there's just two ways. Do I keep the commands of Christ? Do I love my brethren? Those are two ways that I can demonstrate that I love the Lord. Obviously there are others, you know, uh, spending time with him in prayer. If you think about it, whenever you love someone, you like to spend time with them. Also there's the word of God. Bible reading, or, and there are all kinds of apps and different things that you can listen to, that you can plug into, that are a great help. You know, we always give a part of our day to something. Work, 
sports, maybe a hobby, some recreation. How much time does God get out of our 24 hours? Are those things reserved only for the obligation? Or do we love the Lord enough that we carry Him with us all week long? When I was a kid, my mom and dad were divorced. And so every other weekend, I got to spend with my dad. And quite often, we would go fishing. He loved to fish. And then, of course, he married my stepmother. And she was nice until they married. Once they married, I don't know, something was in that cake, but she became the wicked stepmother. And every other weekend... Every other weekend, I saw my dad because he had those visitation rights. But do you know that God doesn't just want weekend visitation? He wants full custody. He wants full custody of us all, not just the weekend visitation. And so where do we fall in that? Is that what he gets from us? Or is it something less or more? Do me a favor, if you would, and turn back to Matthew chapter 5. If you're in Galatians, you're going to take a left and keep going, and you'll, you'll come to Matthew. When you get there, I want you to find verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks from you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So I love that part about the second mile. A Roman soldier could compel anybody to do something for up to a mile. That was the law. You had to do that. And so you go that first mile, Jesus says, go another mile. Don't just do what the bare minimum, right? Uh, it's one way that a coach once put it. He said, are you training to win or are you training to not lose? You say, well, what's the difference? Mindset. Huge difference in mindset. Daddy told me when I was a kid, I was working at a grocery store, and he said, he said, son, if you go and do then some, that was his phrase, then some. If they say to do this, do that, and then some. If you're told to write a paper that's a page long, do that, and then some. He said, if you always live your life by doing and then some, people will see that you're serious, that you're a hard worker, and reward will come from that. And this is what Jesus is saying. Someone compels you to go one mile, go with them another, and then some. And then reading on, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not, e- <clears throat> do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than another? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you should be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Go the extra mile. Do and then some. And he points out the bare minimum, you know. Tax collectors love people that love them. Jesus says, let your love exceed that. Love your enemies. Oh, that's hard to do. Not easy at all. I, I, I don't know that I have an enemy. Maybe you can't think that you have one as well. But there may be people that you don't care much for and that they don't care much for you either. Love them. And sometimes the way that you love a person is by what you do. Sometimes it's more verb than it is a noun. It's more than what you do than how you feel, right? We, we always think about love about how do I feel? Oh, I, I feel like I love you. You know, you could say that, but actions speak louder than words, doesn't it? And so Jesus is telling his disciples, if you belong to me, you'll go the extra mile. If you belong to me, you will not love as the world loves. You will love in a much more defiant way. Loving your enemies, those who persecute you, those who curse you, you will love them. And sometimes loving them means, well, I just didn't go and whop them upside the head. So, you know. But I want to leave you with this as we close in speaking about the love of God. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what I want you to think on as we close. Obviously, the first part. Do you love the Lord? And how is that shown in how you live? First. Second, I want you to understand that God didn't begin to love you when you were trying hard enough. God didn't make an effort to love you when you were being good enough. He demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The worst that you and I have ever been, that's when God loved us. The worst that a person could ever be, that's when God loves. And Christ died for that person. If that isn't love, what is? To have a father that loves us this way is something that we almost can't accept because we know I would never love another person this way. And the Lord loved knowing that many would reject him. That's got to be hard. You know, I would do anything for folks that I know it would, right, that they would benefit and they would reciprocate that. But to keep doing something over and over again and coming up empty... What do you want to do? Well, I'm going to quit that. But the, the love of God and His grace is far surpassing than that of what you and I could ever have. And it's because He loved us this way and that Christ died for us that we can be forgiven of our sins. If we have faith in Christ, if we make that good confession that He is the Son of God, if we are buried with Him in baptism and having our sins washed away, then what do we do? That's only the beginning point. Thereafter, love God. And let it be shown in how you live. You know, it, it should be the thing so that 
when people meet you and get to know you, they don't have to wonder if you're a Christian. They can just tell. So if you love God, go forth loving God in all that you do. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we haven't loved you with our whole hearts. We have sinned against you. And we have probably treated our Christianity as more of an obligation than a privilege. Let our hearts grow to love you. And let that reflect in our lives, our actions, our words, everything that we do. Forgive us our trespasses from the time of our youth to this present day. Cleanse us thoroughly from those iniquities. Strengthen us in moments of temptation and help us to overcome. And Heavenly Father, for those who are spiritually unwell, we pray for them that someone or something could occur in their life that would nudge them, Father, to either repent or to obey the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is your will and it's your heart's desire to save the lost. And help us, if we can, to be a part of that. Dear Father, help us to love you if we don't love you appropriately. That we can understand and that we can experience the joy of what it means to truly love you and to rejoice in our salvation. Hear our prayer. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to begin your walk of faith this morning, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.